Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. If you are in immediate distress, please call 1-800-SUICIDE or 1-800-273-TALK. First, I want to say Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Thank you for being here. You showed up. We got through 2020. This is a new year. A new you, a new us. Uh, I thank you for showing up. I, I really appreciate um, the downloads. We were at over 100,000 downloads. Uh, that means a lot of you are listening, but not only listening, but you're sharing it with your friends and family and enemies and uh, employees and coworkers and, and uh, everybody, and your neighbors. I really appreciate that. We have a bunch of five-star reviews over there warms my heart, lets me know that what I'm doing is effective. And what we're doing together is we're, we're building a community so that we don't feel like we're the only ones going through what we're going through. Just the fact that so many people are downloading and listening. And throughout the world, I have listeners and we have listeners in the Netherlands and Asia and uh, South America and, and obviously North America um, and Africa. Throughout the world, everybody is tuning in. So thank you, thank you, thank you for that. Um, I'm excited about today's episode. Now, before I say this, at the end of the episode, it gets cut short. I had some audio issues, which I can't explain. I haven't been able to remedy. I've talked to other people. We couldn't remedy it. So it seems to abruptly end, just a little bit. There, there is a, a closing, but she doesn't give her t the typical, um, you don't hear the before you kill yourself question, yeah. Now, for some of you who prefer YouTube, right, maybe you don't have access to download the episode for whatever reason, we have been uploading these episodes in its entirety on to YouTube. If you go to Leo Flowers on YouTube, you'll see, um, you also see some links to my stand-up if you want to check that out. I post book reviews also, which I haven't done in a while. I should because I'm just, I'm just burning through books. Uh, but you'll see the episodes on there. All right. Today's guest, Alenka Artnik, who is a four-time world champion freediver. And if you don't know what a freediver is, they go to depths of, in her case, 374 feet in the ocean on one breath. No oxygen tank, no nada. Only the bodysuit and fins, 374 feet, one breath. Uh, and so she, on November 8th, she uh, currently, uh, she broke the record on November 8th of 2020. And so she is the world record holder uh, in the women's division. And I read about her in the New York Times. And the reason why I was intrigued by her story is once she started late in a freediving game in her 30s. And so there is a bit of a pre-midlife crisis there. But two, she share some of the, the traumas and tragedies that have happened in her childhood that have led her to this place. And we don't go into a lot of detail about it. We kind of keep it surface level. So it's not too specific. It, it's not triggering. I don't, I, at least I, that's not the intention. Uh, so you can listen all the way through. Uh, this is a story of empowerment. Uh, as Alenka, uh, I don't think it's mentioned in the episode, but uh, she is getting engaged so congratulations if uh, you're listening right now. And uh, with that said, let's jump into the episode. And, and now, are you in, you're in Slovenia, right? 
I am not in Slovenia, actually. I haven't been in Slovenia for like one year already, almost okay. one year. Yeah. And uh, I am living in, um, at, uh, I'm living with my uh, partner and he's from Switzerland. So we are here right now. And it's just basically on the other side of the Alps. But because of all the restrictions and everything, it's quite impossible to travel right now. So I am here. Oh, right on. So you're getting, uh, I imagine you're doing a lot of skiing right now and uh, some a lot of outdoor snow. A lot of outdoor, a lot of outdoor skiing. Uh, I'm not really a skier. I am like, I would like to relearn it because I did it when I was, uh, when I was a kid, but I'm coming from the coast. So obviously I'm more like a sea person, but my partner, he's a good skier and uh, they're going with a bunch of friends. They're going for skiing uh, this uh, Saturday, but outdoor here, it's amazing. Like, we are basically living like below a really amazing mountain. It's really nice. Oh, now, being up in the mountains, some people have a hard time sleeping in high altitudes. How, how does high altitudes affect you and your sleep? Actually, we are not. So this is not a high altitude. We are not. We are not living in the in the mountains, you know. But the mountains are all around. So if you want to go in the mountain for a little, little trekking, it's it's very possible. It's just next door, but. Here, the altitude, it's, it's uh, I think, I don't know, maybe 400 or something. It's We're not high. Yeah, and, and you mentioned being a sea person. Uh, you know, I'm excited to have you on because you hold so many uh, world records in uh, free diving, which, mm-hmm. which is interesting because uh, Michelle and I, my girlfriend, we were just watching, I forget what TV, what movie or documentary we were watching about free diving. It's about this... Uh, free diver in the, I think the Philippines or one of those islands. And, uh, you know, he didn't have much means. And then some people rallied around to help him break the record. He ended up not being able to break the record, but it was just cool to watch his attempt. Yeah. I know the and, guy, he's uh, Bajau. He's uh, like uh, one of the, from the Bajau. Uh, it's like, um, kind of, we call them like sea gypsy, you know? And it's from the Philippines. It was it was quite special because he's from from this sea um, uh, nomad family, and um, obviously they're living a very different lifestyle like we do. But uh, he got uh, in contact with Filipino freedivers, and they helped him to get the proper gear and everything. And like you know, he have he has never been like really training freediving, and he's really really talented. So, but I'm sure break the records uh, sooner or later. Well, w- one of the reasons I'm excited to have you on is, you know, in order to free dive, and, and, and when I read, well, you know, an article about you in the New York Times, great article, uh, by the way, um, you talked about how the key to surviving at those those depths that you go to, you're, you're holding your breath. I think the woman's record is nine minutes, the men's is 11 minutes, is to stay calm, but people say stay calm, stay relaxed all the time. I, but what does that mean, and how do you practice that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, basically, from just saying stay, you have to stay cool, stay calm. Uh, to actually being in that mindset, it's it's a big uh, it's a big work. You know, it's a big it's, it can be a lifetime work, and um, depends. Uh, some people can get into this mindset, let's say sooner. Um, some people need maybe more time to practice, you know, for sure. The best tool for that would be, uh, meditation. Meditation is, I think, also, also the most, uh, known tool, uh, how to learn 
to relax, but um, actually breathing, breathing, focused breathing, it's it's uh, it's the strongest tool. And uh, with with a good with a proper breathing, with the right breathing, we can actually um, like even manipulate our heart rate, you know, so that. Uh, because when we have like a lower heart rate, obviously we burn less oxygen, so we can mani- manipulate to have a lower heart rate, and um, just in general to feel much more relaxed. So yeah, you need to also have a big confidence in yourself, and obviously again, this doesn't just come. You know, you need to work a lot. You need to commit yourself to this. In my in my case, that's freediving, but I think in everything that, you know, if you want to succeed in whatever that is, you need to commit yourself 100% into that. And I think only like that, then it's possible to get this, like the best uh, results. So I would say the combination, of course, a lot of work and with a lot of work that there comes the confidence and practice, practice, practice. A lot of patience also. Patience, I think, is very important, especially in freediving. It's really, really important because we are getting to obstacles like nonstop all the time. You know, it's not like the, the door of the sea of the depth is just wide open uh, to me all the time. And let's be <laughs> clear here. It's not. So because I am still, uh, you know, a human uh, with the oil, uh, let's say, a backpack from the surface. So yeah, it's a lot of a lot of a lot of work. Yeah. I I know uh, you know I read a lot about uh, Wim Hof breathing techniques and uh, Tom Nestor who wrote a book called Breathe, and uh, he he also uh, does some free diving, and, and some of them have so many different breathing tactics like five seconds in, five seconds out, four in, four out. What kind of breathing? Uh, practices are you doing outside the water and then how is it different inside when you're when you're free diving yeah the the one from wheel it's this is now like super super like worldwide popular many people like to to try it um he also kind of um implement uh, hyperventilation or hyperventilation which is like which is like very fast and shallow breathing uh, we don't really use this kind of uh, breathing technique in freediving um, because it kind of reduces it reduce, uh, the level of CO2 in our body. And CO2 is actually kind of like alarm. It's like the one that is telling us where are we, you know, in terms of like being still conscious because we are doing everything on breath hold. So CO2, even though it feels, it makes us feel very uncomfortable, it's our friend. And we, if we are doing hyperventilation, the level of CO2 drops drastically and we might not have the good feeling any, like when is the time to come out from the water. So we use different techniques. Um, but you know, like pranayama is like, it's a whole, uh, education about, uh, the whole branch about breathing and it's huge. Um, I still need to learn a lot about it. Uh, but what I do, it's actually very, very simple. I always say to people, it's super simple. Um, the important thing I think at the beginning is actually that, you know, so, you try to kind of like I'm just I'm just gonna tell what what is like the exercise that I do, and that I also suggest uh, to other people, you know, even out of sport, not just like freedivers. Um, an exercise that it's really good to 
or calm down. So relax or just train, focus. Uh, because as you know, like uh, in, in the modern life, we have so many informations all the time and it's really hard to be, to be focused. Um, so with this focus breathing, as I call it, uh, you can just lay down on the floor and basically you breathe with the belly, uh, like maybe five minutes, but very, very uh, relaxed. You don't control the breathing, especially at the beginning. You really try just to just to kind of naturally breathe as it comes. But we try to breathe with the belly. Um, the thing is that also modern modern human we uh, in the in the let's say the modern human is breathing more with the upper part that means with the chest and very shallow and this is you know this is usually when we are in stress this is the pattern that we use for breathing and that's not it's not really good we need to oxygenate our body and that means we need to do like long and let's say um like long exhale and with the belly. So, yeah, this is what I do. I just lay down five minutes, uh, belly breathing, and uh, the exhale, we try to do it a bit longer, but at the beginning it's going to be like super, super, uh, you know, neutral and uh, not to control too much. And um, the exhale should be longer. Yeah. And with that, you know, you try to be, focus with the breath you know this is your only let's say kind of goal to be focused on the inhale and on the exhale even though the mind obviously will fly away everywhere like you know we call it monkey mind and that's very normal and it's also very important that the people don't get frustrated at the beginning because this is super normal and you just need to keep practicing and uh, after some time it's so good when you see that the mind is really like listening to what you want actually you know it's following your kind of orders and that's a good it's a good feeling it is it's such a great feeling and and a lot of times uh you know I'll sit cuz you know I have so many meetings throughout the day and sometimes I just have maybe 5 minutes or a few minutes in between each and I've started practicing uh, meditating in between each meeting or session, even if it's just for a minute, uh, or as you refer to it as belly breathing. Um, and I find that even just one minute of just sitting with myself uh, lowers my heart rate. I, I realize that uh, I haven't really been belly breathing <laughs> for the past hour, and it's enough to recharge me. You know, a lot of people go grab caffeine or coffee or tea to, to wake them up. But I find that uh, uh, just a few minutes of just focusing on my breath, settling down, getting grounded uh, okay. is enough to recharge and rejuvenate me. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's interesting because in the past I would also like take a coffee and coffee actually is just making you more anxious, you know. So breathing, people do the breathing. It does magic, really. And, and so I want to talk a bit about, obviously, about free diving and, uh, you know, what that is, because I it's it looks terrifying. I, I follow a couple of free divers. There's a guy, I think, Golome Guillaume. I forget how to pronounce his name. Guillaume. Yeah. And he, he produces these beautiful videos of, of himself uh, free diving. And so can you explain to us what free diving is? And then what got you into it? 
So um, Guillaume Neri, he he was a, he's like a multi world champion. Uh, he stopped competing for now. I hope he will continue maybe some sometime in the future. But yeah, he is the one doing like really amazing underwater um, videos, and definitely those videos are also helping you know to kind of spread and to promote the sport as it is like amazing and beautiful. Uh, so free diving, you know, the main thing is obviously you are diving, but you're diving on breath hold. So you're not breathing uh, air underwater. It's not scuba diving. And uh, before the, the dive, you need to relax. You need to learn to relax. And then you do like a big, nice, relaxed inhale. And then you go down. Of course, uh, there is a difference uh, when you're doing just like fun diving or as we call it, snorkeling or a bit deep snorkeling or as, uh, let's say, when we are diving on the rope, which is basically uh, free diving as a sport. But the main thing would be uh, in this case, when we are doing like a training or as a competition or as a sport, we are diving, free diving um, along the rope we set uh, the depth before we go down and we do a big inhale and then you know we are attached with the lanyard on the rope because of the safety reason obviously there might be some currents underwater so it's you know it's just for, for safety that we are attached on this main road and then like vertically down with a rope you are basically kicking and then you turn and then you go, go or come up uh, with one breath it's remarkable, you know, because I was watching a video on free diving and, and what it's like. And I didn't realize that at a certain depth, when you're going down, there's, uh, you know, first the water is trying to, your, your buoyancy because you're holding your breath is trying to pull you up. But then there's a certain depth that you reach where now the, the water, the buoyancy is pulling you down and you can just, uh, and so what does that feel like when you're going from that transition of you're, you're kicking your way down and now you feel yourself being pulled down. I would imagine that first time had to be terrifying. Did you, <laughs> did you panic and want to come back up or what was that experience like? Okay. Yeah. So maybe just to tell very quickly why this happens. So obviously the pressure with the depth is increasing. So every 10 meters, there's additional bar and um, the air in the body is squeezing which means that with the depth, we are getting, like we're losing the buoyancy or we are becoming negatively buoyant. This means that at some point you start sinking, you start sinking like a rock basically. And until let's say it depends from athlete to athlete, it depends um, how much weight you, you have, what's the thickness of the suit. But anyway, let's say you come, I personally, I kick until like around 50 meters and then Basically, I stop kicking like from 50 meters on because the air is so squeezed and you are negatively buoyant, then you start sinking. And in that moment, it's like super important that you relax your body max, like as, as, as much as possible, that you really relax all the little muscles in the body because, you know, all tension, it's a physical tension, but also mental tension is burning oxygen. So here it's really, really important in this part. We call it free fall. And uh, it's really important that you basically surrender to this pressure, you know, because if you're kind of like in a cramp, 
in a physical cramp, it's it's going to be impossible to equalize. And this is also one thing that you need to learn equalization. And you have to you have to equalize the pressure all the time. Let's say every kind of like maybe three meters, you need to equalize. You know until the bottom. And the deeper you go, the, the harder it is to equalize because the air is getting smaller and smaller. So this technique is really, really subtle and you have to be super, super focused on one hand and super relaxed on the other. So you need to find the right balance between focus and relaxation. But maybe just a word about this moment when you start free falling, it's like amazing really really amazing it feels almost like you are falling in, in a, in a in, into universe like it's like the feeling is so 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 amazing obviously because you are like you have to relax and you're not thinking you're your let's say mental processes there are not like on the surface you know you're not thinking um, the same way as when you are on the surface it's if you can come to, to this mindset or, or let's say to this state when Basically, you're just so in the present moment and you are not thinking, you know, you're not analyzing. It's And this com- combined with this free-falling, I mean, this is really like, it's a spiritual situation. It's a spiritual experience. It doesn't happen every time, but when it happens, it's really magical. Like, it's interesting because on one hand, you are really kind of alone down there, you know, because your safety divers are waiting for you like uh, the last 30, 35 meters. So down there in the deep, you, you in the depth, you are alone. But uh, the, the, the thing is, the irony is that when you're in this mindset, in this, yeah, um, in this state, it's, uh, you feel really connected. You feel like really being a part of the whole thing, of the whole ocean, sea, universe, you see? You're completely, it's not like on the surface. On the, on the surface, you have your very strong ID and you have to work so much for this ID and you have to prove all the time and it's really hard. While there, down there, you feel like you belong there. You feel like you are just a part, like they say, a, a, a drop in the ocean and and it's everything is okay, you know, no, and nothing, nobody is judging. And it's like, this is the ultimate, uh, in my opinion, the ultimate uh, feeling. You, you know, I'm so glad that you, you brought that up in terms of the feeling of not feeling alone because it's the holidays right now. A lot of people do feel alone that, you know, that they, maybe they don't have gifts up under the Christmas tree. Maybe they don't even have a tree and you, you bring up something that's experience go hiking to go hiking up in the mountains and further up i go the more connected i feel and and the further below you go the more connected you feel and but what's also interesting is that like you also mentioned you have to get past that point of you have to you know toggle between focus and relaxation because there is a point during a hike where you want to turn around where it's getting too hard where the muscles start to burn that the air becomes a little thin and then uh, but if you keep going and you slow down your pace and you keep going you, you start to acclimate and uh or as you say equalize so that you can keep going and you can adjust and adapt to the thinner air to the higher altitude or, or to the lower depths um i would imagine 
that it, it when I when I think about the ocean, I think sharks, right? Like I, I think sharks. I think uh, squids, octopus, all these things. Have you? How do you deal with that idea, or do you not feel threatened by that at all because you feel like you're so at one with the the ocean? I will ask you something. How do you deal with the sharks and oct- octopus, the ones on the surface? Uh, I, I stay away from them. <laughs> yeah. I, just, I don't. I don't. I don't go where they go. <laughs> you know how I deal with them. Uh, actually, it's like they are. They are part of it. You know, they are part of 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 everything of the humanity part of uh, humanity part of the universe and this is and it's right like that you know and even though they go on nerves you know and on the surface or underwater you know it's i think it's very similar uh we just need to kind of accept that this is uh, how it is it's part of uh, of life and um Honestly, like to more more uh, directly answer to your question, I don't really think about uh, about sharks. I know this is if I think rationally, this is their their world, you know, and I'm kind of entering their world, but I don't really think if like you know, oh, uh, by the way, the sharks are not that dangerous. I, you know, they kind of this is this is a huge huge myth and they're making a huge guilt to these poor animals you have to know because of those there are maybe two species of sharks that are maybe a bit more aggressive but you know they don't you don't just meet them you know and uh, it's very important that people know the sharks are not dangerous you can swim with sharks but let's say octopus uh, you know i am very allergic to octopus and wherever i go i always get stung and uh, while my friends, they don't, and I get stung, and I would just, you know, accept it. It's, it is how it is, you know, it's kind of like a price to be, to be there. Uh, but I think, yeah, I think um, acceptance, it's very, very, it's very important, you know. I, I love, I love your response of how do I deal with the sharks on land? It took me a second to, to quite get what you were really saying. And you're right, I was just in Loreto, Mexico. And walking along the beach, not even in the water, and there were two pit bulls that uh, tried to attack. And you know, it, it, it's like there, there, people can be quote unquote sharks. Other animals can be sharks. You know, your your body can attack you. Like there, we we they, we're always vulnerable and susceptible. And so I love your idea of like we just have to accept that that sharks e- exist in the world, not just in the water. Uh, and so you, you might as well pursue and do the thing that you want to do regardless, uh, and, and commit to it. Um, you, you mentioned yeah. commitment earlier. I, I would imagine that when you met your boyfriend, you, you, you probably wanted him to propose the first day. You're like, are you committed to me or not? Yeah, I was, uh, but you know, I am not, uh, I am not so young anymore, so I have to, I need to feel that it's a good material, you know, how my dad would uh, used to say, you know. So I was testing a little bit, like, is he a, a good material? Like, should I continue or what? But um, it, it it was a good material. And he is a good material. And actually, we just recently got engaged. So, yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. That's right. First announcement for the podcast. I love it. <laughs> I was thinking 
thinking like because next year I'm, I'm gonna be 40 and I was thinking like man if you don't propose to me I, w- I didn't say to him I was thinking if you don't propose to me before I'm 40 I'm gonna dump you <laughs> it's a joke I, I love that uh, you, well you gotta you gotta set some some expectations right the you know when yeah. I read a when I read about the um you know, I was looking at, you know, how many people die from free diving. And of course, people do die from free diving as they, they die from anything else. However, one of the things that was interesting is that most of the people who die from free diving um, are free diving alone. And it, I remember there's a quote that says, you know, you go uh, alone, you go faster, but together you go further. And mm-hmm. I wonder, like, if that's what you found, because I'm sure you you you've been told about the people who have who have died. And uh, besides being alone, what is like the biggest mistake that most free divers make? Um, okay, so this is also something uh, like people that they don't know this this activity, this sport. They think that you know, like free divers are just like dying you know and it's also another myth it's it's the the thing is that i'm talking about free divers that like did let's say at least a beginner course because the most important rule in free diving is not to free dive alone never free dive alone you know and it's like it goes so it's so important. They, they really try to, like, you know, when they are, like, um, the instructors and everybody around you, it's like, it's, it's you don't do that. It's like, this is almost like a crime if you do that, you know? So free divers, we usually don't free dive alone. Uh, we never free dive alone when we are on the rope. We always have training bodies and we always have safety that are safetying us because anyway, you cannot even relax if you are alone. So, but what can, uh, what can happen is that people that they don't have experiences and then they do some free diving, let's say, um, in, uh, like during the holidays, you know, they go for summer holiday somewhere and they go a bit too deep, you know, and maybe they're surprised by the current. They have very bad gear. They get a panic and something can happen. Um, another group of like, let's say, they are, let's say, um, risky uh, are the sparrowfishers because the sparrowfishers, they are very, very, um, um, I would say, experienced, but they usually do this activity alone. And these deaths, uh, unfortunately, they happen among sparrowfishers. Um, so, but in terms of safety, safety is like the most important thing in freediving. And, uh, uh, you know, you, you, you will really like, there were like just really few accidents, um, in freediving, you know, I think it's very important that people know that. Yeah. You know, uh, in the article, uh, that, that New York times article, you, you talked about how you were working in a shop. I think your family owned, uh, a business and you were working in it, uh, you know, maybe up until like 30 and you were kind of feeling like you, you wanted to do something else. Um, can you talk to us about like how you, what that feeling was? Cause so many people feel stuck. They might feel stuck in their jobs. They might feel stuck in their relationship. And 
so like how scary was it for you to say, you know, I'm going to I'm going to pivot or change from this thing that I've been doing for so long and commit myself to something else, especially at the at the age of 30. I would imagine people start much younger uh, in such a sport. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, I am a late flower. This is this is for sure. <laughs> it takes me some time to figure out something sometimes in life. Um, uh, so the 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 um, the job I was I was doing um, didn't didn't uh, belong to my family. It was just I was just working uh, for a company. And the thing is that you know I was working like any like normal person, you know, like a normal lifestyle, you know. Um, but I was in a very, very unhappy place for kind of like almost a decade. And I think it's important that I, that I mentioned that because it's interesting that uh, my background was quite, quite heavy and, um, uh, I'm coming from, let's say, uh, like, yeah, um, let's say the, yeah, as I said, the background was very, it was very hard. Like my, my dad, uh, he was a heavy, um, uh, alcoholic and, um, I had a brother who was a bit older. He was 10 years older and he was a heavy drug addict, you know? And then there was my mom and me and my sister and my mom was somewhere in between trying to kind of, you know, maintain kind of like normality in our family family but it was really really hard you know and i think also me and my sister we were kind of canalizing you know a lot of heaviness that was happening there and uh, i think when i was around 18 20 until then i would say i managed quite well this craziness that was happening around me all my childhood you know i was in sport which for sure helped me a lot. Uh, I was training a uh, kayak. Uh, but then at 18, you know, everything just, it had to come on the surface because probably I was just holding too much stuff, too much. I would call it, sorry for this, too much shit, especially things that, uh, yeah, didn't belong to me. And, um, but you know, when you're a child, you don't know how to uh, let's say select what is good, what's not good, what's yours, what's not yours. You know, you just you're like a sponge. You take everything on you, and at some point, enough is enough. You cannot do it anymore. So, because we are not so open, you know, the civilization, the humanity is not so open, and um, actually there are so many taboos around all these things. You know, I felt very, very lonely. And um, I dropped school in that moment. I dropped sport in that moment. And I remember the first few years, I kind of locked myself in, uh, you know, between four walls. I didn't want to go out. I didn't want to just, like, I was afraid of life because there were so many danger around me, you know, all my life. And then at some point, I remember I started, like, somehow that was not enough. I had to open the, this ventil do you call it ventil uh the, like the the uh vent like ventil it's kind of like the like kind of like a pipe let's call it a, a oh, like the, the valve valve the valve the yeah. valve so that you know all these things came up because it was just too much and um you know we humans can be quite creative and the way 
it was the only way how I knew how to do it. It was basically by sabotaging myself with, you know, drinking too much and, you know, partying and having like really bad relationships and things like that. You know, I was basically hurting myself, but probably I had to do that because it was the only way how I would kind of like, you know, when you come to the bottom, you know, the really very, very bottom, I was there, I was digging very deep, but I had to do that. I had to be there in order to kind of, in my case, it was letting go, you know, I remember, I think I was around 26, something like 26, 27, maybe it was the hardest um, and it was so hard, you know, also because, you know, I am a smart girl and, uh, I was, you know, uh, let's say uh, understanding everything even more. So it was even harder. And I think usually these things happen to smart people. Eh? Uh, also let's say I was more aware, you know, and maybe more empathic and it was even harder. So I was basically standing on that bridge, you know? And uh, I remember, and I was thinking, you know, I was just thinking, okay, what, what to do? You know, it's like, uh, I cannot, I cannot live like this anymore. I don't belong to this world. You know, I'm just suffering. I'm destroying myself. I don't want to live like this, you know? And, um, I remember I looked at the sky, like, uh, I said, universe, do whatever you want with me because I cannot do it anymore. And I think, and I'm pretty sure actually, in that moment, when I let this, all this heaviness, so this heavy backpack, when I literally said, I was talking to the universe and said, bam, I give this backpack to you because I cannot hold it anymore. Things start happening. Things start happening. Uh, life starts, you know, changing. It, it, it starts rotating in a different direction. And this is also when free diving came in my life. And I definitely believe that you know, at that moment, probably I just gave up in terms of like I said, this, I don't want this. I, I cannot hold this anymore. And actually this backpack belonged to me, you know, it was heaviness from everybody, but probably me. So I was like, universe, this is yours, uh, you know, and uh, and then I could, I could, you know, kind of let um more space for good things for me to happen you know it's just like that so basically when i was like no this doesn't belong to me mm, i give it to you i also open myself for good things and um the best thing that could ever happen and that was free diving wow what a, what a powerful story and you bring up such a great point that smart people people who are empathic they feel the pain so much more because we're so aware of what's happening, why it's happening. And so, you know, in the Bible, it says with knowledge comes sorrow. And so it's like the more we are aware, then we feel more joy and we feel more excitement, but we also feel more pain and we feel more hurt. But, you know, what a beautiful moment for you to recognize that that pain that you had been carrying around that hurt wasn't yours it was it was someone else's and so to, to consciously say to the universe here you can take this back like i don't i don't need this like i, I this is heavy like I, I got places to go um and so what what a beautiful moment and was there some 
were there was there anything else that you coupled with that moment in terms of getting rid of the backpack? You know, I, I could I could see someone physically like just putting a bunch of bricks in a backpack and then dumping it in an ocean or did you did you journal? Was there anything else that you helped to that you did to help navigate you through that moment? Uh, actually, the thing is that when I did that uh, back then, I didn't realize I didn't realize what just happened. You know, um, later, you know, later I was understanding actually when was this breaking point for me? What happened? You know, because many people are asking me still like, okay, but what did you do? Like, how did you come from that darkness to this? You know, and. Um, uh, now I can. Now I know. You know what actually happened, and um, I think I was just so desperate that I just really couldn't hold it anymore. Um, and this is yeah, when you're so deep, you know, so deep down there, you know, you cannot. You can. You just let go the control. You know. Also, um, so I think you know it didn't happen. It didn't happen uh, overnight, and it took me. It's a process. It's always a process. And I think it's very important that you just keep going. And from then on, there were still some very, very heavy things happening, you know. And it's very interesting because I will tell you also this thing, and I think it's it's very interesting. It's not like, you know, oh, you know, from then on, the universe helped me and uh, I was living uh, happily after, you know. No, it doesn't. This Forget it. Uh, it was actually there were some other things that I had to process after that, and it was it was crazy. It was kind of crazy to think because in the same period, um, I lost my dad, and uh, we also had two cats that they were like living with us forever, like they were 18 years both. So they were like a big part of our family. You know, I remember when I was a kid and when it was really, really hard, I took one of them and I just went into bed with with this cat, you know, and they really, really helped me to stay normal, you know. So the cats were actually, it's very interesting. That's why I always say animals are like saving us so, so much. And it's so cruel when we are being cruel to them because they are really saving us. And if I think if I am normal today, it's because of these cats, really, because I didn't completely block my feelings, you know, because when you are all the time exposed to danger, um, a normal person would close, you know, because you don't want this pain. A child would do it even sooner. So with the cats, I could still, you know, give them love. And that's so important. So thank you, girls. Uh, I just uh, say thank you to the, to the girls. Uh, there in the sky with the whole gang. So anyway, um, those two, those two cats, they die one after another and my dad too, you know, and we, they were like the three musketeers. I don't know. um, Do you call it like that? Yeah. Three musketeers. Yes, exactly. And, um, me and my sister, we were living like one hour away from from this home, and it was just crazy. They all they all got cancer on on the liver, and uh, in like half a year, all of them they just passed away. 
And in the same, after that, um, I had a friend I was really, he was like kind of more than a friend to me. And I also lost him. Basically we, uh, uh, we, we break the, we broke the relationship. Um, I, uh, the, the job, the, um, the job I was working at, uh, also that thing ended up because of this uh, recession and everything. So we had to close the shop and then also my cat that I had, um, in my home got, you know, they, she also died basically. And, and that was too much, you know, that was for me, she was my baby, you know, and that was too much for me. It was like, and this is when I said to the universe, okay, now you stop. But I also understood something else because I was still living that kind of lifestyle. Um, I knew more and more that the lifestyle I was living, it will not, this is not me. And I, I was kind of, you know, um, flirting with idea to change something. But this, all these things that happened in such a short time really, um, that was such a cruel, let's say, very raw message from the universe, which I, and I understood as, girl, you need to pack and you need to go in the world. You need to go and you need to find your path. You need to explore and you need to go. And really, I really believe that all these things happen because uh, I had nothing else to hold on at home. So I packed and I left. And that was, you know, like five years ago. And uh, I'm still uh, I'm still on this uh, on this path, and many 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 good things happen in between, <laughs> you know. And now I'm talking here with you. Yes, and, and you're engaged. You're talking here with me with yes. a ring on a finger. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> the you, you mentioned your your brother also uh, drinking heavily, doing drugs. How is he uh, in all this at, at the current moment? Uh, my brother he died when i was 23 you know this is already i was uh, <clears throat> i was already in a crisis back then um years older so he was 33 and he was um at the end uh, his body was like so weak because um you know he couldn't uh, he, i think at the end he was basically on on uh, methadone not on heavy drugs but on methadone and uh, basically at the end his body just collapsed uh, you know from all the drugs and poison and he was alone you know he was alone in this um, detoxing clinic um but my brother he was also he was also heavy because he was also a narcissist and uh, borderliner you know and you know i'm sure you know that it's very very heavy to to deal with these people it's very hard to let them close to you you know and even though i felt so much you know like pity for him because he was there but you know i was also struggling big time uh, back then so but yeah i always felt to be sorry because um the last night then the night when he passed away he called me and i, I didn't uh, i just didn't want to answer because i didn't feel like talking to him i was like just probably too tired you know or something and yeah and the next morning uh, he passed away and uh there is also it's quite uh, i would say interesting now because you know i i could never really cry after his uh, death, you know, probably because I was still very angry on him. Not probably, for sure. I was 
you know, there were so many bad things happening, you know, ar- around him, you know. Um, my parents, they were like the first, the first parents in the late 80s, beginning of 90s in Slovenia, talking about this taboo, you know, having a child that is uh, a drug addict. And they exposed themselves to the TV. Like, can you imagine how much courage they had to have? Because in those days, nobody was talking about this problem, you know. And then, uh, you know, he also went, eventually he went to this com- community in Thailand. Uh, he was there three years and um, to get clean, you know. And he came back and we were all full of hopes and everything. And then he started again, you know. So it was really, it was super, super painful uh, and many, many other things. So, yeah, for me, it was very hard to be, you know, to grieve after him. But that, I have to say, this, this, this experience was... Um, it was very interesting, and yeah, I was already, uh, you know, I was already uh, free diving. It was already when I moved to five years ago when I moved to Dahab to Egypt um, for depth free diving. And in one of the dives, I went down, and at the bottom plate, I think I did around 85 that day. At the bottom plate, that means the, the moment when I turned and I start kicking up, he just came in front of me like I just saw his face in front of me. And then I was like, whoa, what are you doing here? Obviously, he surprised me because I, I didn't think about him. And uh, he just came, you know. And uh, it was very interesting because his face was not like, um, like uh, you know, when you are, you know, people when they are under drugs, they have this face that these eyes that you know exactly that they are like in, on other somewhere else you know like zombie i call it and he was not like looking like that he was looking so stable so clear so peaceful and strong and i was like okay and he was he was still front of me like i had this image of him and 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 then i said to myself okay if you're here then let's go together to the surface you know and uh, and I came up from the water and I had this smile on my face. So my training buddy, she told me that there was something different with this dive. I told her later what happened. But then the funny thing is that when I came home, you know, and I was alone, and I remember I was doing some stretching probably in yoga mat, and I started thinking about what happened this, this morning, you know. And I start crying. You know, the first time in, in after he died, it was probably, uh, it was more than 10 years. After the, more than 10 years, I started crying after him for the first time. It, it's almost like this process of grieving started with him, you know, because I was really sorry, you know, that, um, you know, that maybe that even I couldn't help him back then, but I was too young. Uh, but I was generally, I was so sorry that he couldn't, that he was not strong enough to choose, uh, to go out of it, to choose a different path in his life. And in the water, I could see him, how he would be if he, if he were, if he was strong enough, you know, if he chose an, another life, you know, and, um, and I was really, I was, I was crying and I was, I was just very sorry that he is not, uh, with us anymore. You know, you you brought up a good point and uh, something that the research has continually showed uh, for people who have left rehab, 
you know, there's a high relapse rate uh, of people once they leave rehab, uh, you know, within the first 30 days. And but a lot of the research attributes that relapse to them going back into the same environment that they left. And so, so it's interesting that for three years he got himself clean. He was in Thailand and then he comes back home and now he's back in that same environment, exposed to the same triggers, the same people. Uh, and, and because none of that's been worked on the stuff at home hasn't been worked on the environment hasn't been worked on, uh, the things that have been contributing to it hasn't been. So, you know, I bring this up so that the listeners out there who are struggling with addiction and are trying to figure out why they keep relapsing, uh, you, you, you know, so many people who have struggled with addiction on the podcast have mentioned the importance of changing their environment, you know, for you. It's like, you know, it's an extreme example of going to the depths of the ocean to, to find peace, to find connection, to find tranquility. For me, it's, it's going up into the mountains. Uh, and so to, to change your environment and, and know that it's not just enough to go into a, 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 a detox lab uh, and expect that that's going to stick uh, forever. No, no. It's uh, after that. It's a hard work. It's a hard work. And I think that, as you said, it's super important to change to change the, um, the environment, you know, and uh, because um, also there are sometimes maybe there's some people that are just triggering something in you and you cannot you cannot help it. You, you don't know how to protect yourself, you know, but it's very important that you keep having this um uh, this kind of therapies, you know, but in my opinion, something, and I know what is addiction because look, I was, I was living among addiction. I understand addiction. You know, I was also on a thin line eh, there. So for me, I would say the most important thing is discipline, you know, and it's very interesting because for many years I hated this word because it represented to me something that is like taking my freedom and it's so ironic because it's just the opposite discipline is actually giving you the freedom and it's so interesting <laughs> yeah jocko willink who is a, a navy seal um or former navy seal but i think once a seal always a seal uh he wrote a book called discipline equals freedom and he talks about that because when you uh have discipline uh you know it we, we say restriction, but when you kind of narrow your parameters or give yourself boundaries, basically, it gives you more energy to put into the things that you really need to focus on. It gives you more energy to commit to the things that give you purpose and meaning instead of spreading yourself thin and, you know, dissipating your energy into all these different areas. You know, the, the, even in the, I'm not religious, but it's kind of like when the Bible says you can't serve two gods at once. You can't be both a free diver and a drug addict, something's going to give, right? So one of the guys are going to win. So, you know, you have to pick one. And, and when you commit to something, that means you have to give up other things. Yeah, exactly. Very, 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 very. I agree 100% with the SEAL guy also. <laughs> I, I need to, I need to find this book, by the way. Yeah. Discipline equals freedom. I'll put a link in the, in the show notes and then I'll, I'll message that to you also. Thank you, Alenka, for being a part of this podcast. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Remember, this podcast is not a substitute 
for you going to get help, for you calling a 1-800-SUI-CIDE, or going to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. Let's get to tomorrow together.